Welcome to the Run for PRs podcast. This is your host, Victoria Phillippe. The Run for PRs podcast was created to give away the secrets to transform your training to reach your goals. We ask all the expert run coaches and athletes the questions that you've been dying to know the answers to. We will get the inside scoop on what really makes you the best athlete that you can be. Have you ever seen a fast runner and wonder, wow, how did they get so fast? Well, then this podcast is for you. We are going to do a deep dive to reveal the secrets to reaching your potential as a runner. Injury prevention. Today, we're talking about a little bit of a taboo topic for runners. We're talking about injuries, but specifically on this podcast, we're going to talk about how you can prevent injuries from happening in the first place. Flare-ups and injuries are the worst words for a runner to hear. We want to be healthy and injury-free so that we can avoid having to take time off. The longer that we are healthy, the happier we usually are as runners. So today we are going to be talking about ways to prevent these injuries from happening and what you should do if something does happen to flare up on you. To kick off this call, I have with me Jason Phillippe, who is a running coach here at Run for PRs, but also coaches at the D3 college and cross con- college cross country and distance track level at UW River Falls. Um, he has had experience helping athletes get over injuries, help prevent injuries, and rehab um, after injuries. So. Injuries do happen. We don't want to act like it's never going to happen, but that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, I wanted to hear from Jason about a time where he had an injury and how he recovered from it as an athlete first. Um, Yeah, I guess I'll talk about when I was a college athlete. That was my first time dealing with a real injury, and I think it flared up during the indoor season after a lot of speed reps around the indoor track, and I just had pain in my knee. I didn't know what it was. Um, Somebody referred me to an ART specialist um, in the cities. So I drove about 50 minutes to go see him. Um, Took about three treatments and I was back running again. And um, ever since then, he's kind of been our loyal PT that we've gone to for the last, I don't know, 12 to 15 years. So um, I think that was the first time. And that basically what it was was IT band. So my knee, you know, your IT band runs from um, from your hip down to your knee and it attaches right there at the at the knee next to the patella. Um, so that's kind of where I was feeling the, the tightness. And he just, you know, after a few active release therapy treatments, I was stretched out and ready to run. So, Right. I love how you shared your first injury experience there. You chose to select that one because I know um, just from knowing you that you've had a lot more than just one injury, but it's that first one that really shocks us. Um, I feel like sometimes that first injury just kind of comes out of nowhere because we don't really know what sort of signs, symptoms, red flags to look for because um, we've never really gone through it before. So can you tell me maybe about a more recent injury that you've had where you're able to catch it before it really was able to flare up and you learned like red flags to look out for um, and ways that you monitor, you know, this whole injury prevention mindset? And do you think it gets easier, you know, as you get more into the sport or what things have helped you? I think definitely the more experienced you are, um, you'll, you're going to start to notice your body's um, signals that it'll give you when things are starting to flare up. Um, I think what's helped me is, you know, not only did I find a trustworthy PT, but when I go to him, he shows me things that I can do to prevent the injury from occurring again. And so 
definitely that's something to look for if you're if you're you know seeking professional help for an injury is looking at the prevention side like what can I do to prevent this in the future um, and then doing those things with fidelity um, whether it's strengthening exercises or specific like eccentric um, I'll, I'll kind of speak about the calf problems that I've had over the years because right now um, I've been pretty successful at treating that without going to PT I, I noticed that if I do a speed workout my calf might start to tighten on me and I'll just stop before it fully cramps up on me and, and basically what it is it's just a little muscle tear um, you know, it's a calf strain that can set me back for a few weeks. So if I catch it early enough, I will stop running and I'll do some eccentric calf raises and some calf exercises at the gym, um, trying to load that calf, make it stronger. And so I think that that's an example of just, you know, over the years you've learned to watch for things and catch them and um, be in tune with your body. Wow. Yeah. The way that you just described that calf, you know, tightening up on you and flaring up, that sounded a really extreme uh, but just from knowing and being around you when you are doing those workouts, um, it's funny because it's actually a very minor thing that's going on. Um, it's not like, oh my gosh, my calf, and like you're on the ground. It's more just like uh, this left calf feels a little bit tighter than this other one. And I think, you know, these are sort of the tips that I would give an athlete, um, you know, because sometimes it's hard to distinguish, you know, just tight calves from pushing yourself um, versus like, oh, this one is a little bit tighter than the other. And I think that's one of the biggest red flags is seeing one side hurting in a different way or maybe a little bit tighter than another side. So if it's not, you know, symmetrical or, you know, obviously if it's like a bad pain like stabbing or anything like that those are all really big big red flags but I've had some people ask you know oh is it just sore or how do I know like when it crosses the line over injury and should you treat it when it's just sore yeah that's a really good question um I think back to a few years ago and I ran up actually I ran a PR and a half marathon my calf felt tight almost I don't know almost three quarters of the race um and it never reached the point where it fully like tightened and cramped on me. I was just able to kind of run through it. I was worried about it, but it stayed, stayed the same. So I think stagnant, um, a, a feeling that's stagnant, I think that that's just general soreness, general tightness. But if it starts to cross that threshold of becoming more progressively tight as you go and you, you think it's going to get to a point where it's going to prevent you from continuing, that's exactly when you need to pull off and stop. And I've gotten really good at being able to identify, you know, two steps before that's going to occur just to make sure that I don't run through that because uh, you know, calf pains are, calf is one thing. It's just so susceptible to a, a muscle tear. If you're not used to, you know, doing speed work, then you introduce it or something like that. But I think it really depends on the muscle group that we're talking about. Um, but I think you're, the, the key you're looking for is, is the pain kind of stagnant or does it uh, progressively get worse as you go? Right. Yeah. And I know some of our listeners, they might've heard what you just said and Maybe it's a little alarming to hear, but I think the biggest thing here is, you know, Jason's kind of talking about just something that's a little bit tight on him. It's not like an injury. It's not like he's running through an injury. It's just like a tightness that can sometimes show up um, on a run. And so if you're someone who's never really been injured or you've only had like very serious injuries, like a stress fracture, that's definitely not kind of what's the case with him, but... I think, um, you know, for most people listening, if you've never had an injury, the biggest thing is like not running through pain 
And, you know, if something feels off, like it's important to listen to your body. Cause sometimes if you've never been through these injuries, like Jason back when he was in college and he got his first injury after five years of running, um, it was like a very alarming pain for him. And taking that time off was very important and getting treated is so important. Um, it's really important not to run through pain or, you know, if you hear someone else, like maybe Jason talking about like his calf being tight, or maybe you have a friend who always says like, oh, I'm, I'm being careful about my foot. I think these are people who are just very, very preventative and they're very aware that they have a history of having something happen. And so they're just being extremely cautious. Um, And I know for myself, I have been really lucky not to have any serious injuries. Um, The worst thing I had was eight years ago, I had plantar fasciitis. Um, but again, I, that was my first injury. And so I didn't understand like the warning signs, what to look for. And, um, I got caught in that trap of like trying to push through it, which is a huge mistake. Um, and I think runners, the biggest thing that you can do is just be aware. And if something is off and it hurts, you are doing yourself such an advantage from taking a week off, a couple days off, right when something hurts then you are pushing through. You never, ever want to push through. Um, But then now in the future, because I I have had a flare-up with, you know, plantar fasciitis or I've had shin splints before, I will sometimes, you know, middle of a run or sometimes just feel like, hmm, it feels like, you know, maybe my left foot is a little bit tighter today. I'm going to check it out after my run. And just being very aware um, and then doing things that would help Uh, aid in the recovery and make sure nothing's going on. Maybe taking that extra day off, maybe choosing to move your workout back a day, um, cross train for a day, because even like the smallest little thing um, that you feel, those are the signs that we're trying to talk about. We're not talking about like, you know, if, if you can't walk on it, we're talking about like, oh, something feels just a teeny bit off. That's the point where we really want to catch it. And so that's kind of what Jason was referring to with his calf. Like sometimes it just feels like something's a little bit different and it's not even painful. It's just like, there's this thing there. Um, and I have something in, you know, one of my, my right leg. It's always just something that it's in the back of my head. And it's just something as a runner, just knowing your body and making sure you don't push past that point is very important. Um, and then coming with like the recovery and the rehab from that. Like Jason was saying, um, he went to an active release therapist. What are some other doctors or professionals that you might recommend seeing if someone does have something that, you know, it's not like a major injury, but they're a little concerned about it, like maybe like a little flare up or something where it's something feels more tight than usual what's like your first line of defense and then let's say someone's like full-blown injury can't walk without pain or can't run without pain um where should they go um i mean for me it's always going to kind of be the same i'm going to look for a pt who specializes maybe in like some sort of technique like active release therapy or um uh, maybe somebody who can do graston uh which is like a metal tool that they use to scrape the muscle to try to break it up but uh, really just looking for different ways to manipulate the, the tissues and the muscle fibers to generate some blood flow to pr- promote that healing. I think um, some people have experienced success going to acupuncture or with dry needling. So that's, you know, something that you could, but those are for more, I think dry needling would be more for an injury. If you're thinking more just prevention to try to help prevent something from turning into an injury, like let's say you're feeling like tight Achilles and you don't want it to turn into full-blown Achilles tendonitis, you definitely want to maybe start with just a PT or a chiropractor, someone who can help give you a few exercises just to, 
you know, prevent it from, from becoming, um, getting to the point where you can't, you know, run through it anymore. Right. Yeah. Those are great, um, professionals for, you know, prevention or just, even if you don't have anything that's really even wrong with you at all, um, you can even go and see one if you just want to establish a relationship and kind of see what their philosophy philosophy is all about. Cause a lot of the active release therapists, um, you know, it's, it's something that can be covered through insurance, like depending on what your insurance is, obviously, um, the place we go to, it's just, you know, a copay and, um, it's just nice to have that relationship established so that if something does flare up or whatever, like even sometimes we go in for like a quote unquote, like a tune up before, um, a race just to kind of make sure everything is feeling like it's 100% self. So it's not even really like an injury. It's more just like, I want to feel my best self. So it's almost it's almost like getting a massage before a race. Like you just want to make sure like all the kinks, like you're, you're feeling really good. Cause sometimes like he'll even say, get up off the table and just, how does that feel? And like, I can literally feel there's less tightness, even though I didn't even feel tight to begin with. So it's like super prevention stuff. Um, if you have something that's more serious though, you know, like if it's hurting to walk, if it's hurting to run, like if you have red flags going off in your mind and you know something's wrong, I would kind of skip over seeing um, an active release therapist. I mean, you could go there as a starting point, but I would probably recommend more a sports medicine doctor and going somewhere where maybe you can get some imaging done because that's going to be more of a serious, I mean, you want to know that there's nothing wrong with right. the bone, um, first. Cause I think that's, those are the biggest, um, injuries that can cause a longer layoff, bigger problems. And you want to rule that out first. Um, cause usually if there's, you know, there's testing that you can do, that's pretty easy just to make sure that that's not happening. Cause the worst thing that you would want to do, um, is aggravate that. And so Jason, um, I know you've, had people who you ran with in college who ended up with bone injuries, bone-related injuries, or maybe even some people on the team. Um, what are uh, your – so you just go to a doctor, or what What are the steps, and, like, how do you usually know it's, like, bone-related, or you don't? I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's tough to diagnose yourself, especially since we're not medical doctors. But I'd say – if I've had a few college athletes, especially this fall, who – they did end up having one had a stress reaction, the other had a stress fracture, and there's both in both their shins. Um, and you know, I had another person too that had shin pain, but that ended up not being a stress fracture. So, just helping them navigate through like whether whether or not they should go to you know Twin Cities Orthopedics. That's a place in the cities here that would do like some imaging, maybe an MRI or, or X-ray to determine that that the bone is, is healed or whatever. But, um, I think if it's general pinpoint, like if it's general soreness in an area, then it's probably going to be like a, like a tendon issue, but you never really know if it's pinpoint to one area, that's where I might be a little more, you know, worried. And I definitely would recommend going straight to getting those imaging tests done. Right. Yeah. I think it's really important. I mean, when in doubt, I always think I would rather get the imaging done, um, I think in my running career, you know, I've, I've had like maybe two or three times where I had imaging done and both times there was nothing, um, at all <laughs> that was wrong, but, uh, I think it really gave me peace of mind knowing that, okay, like y- you're not doing a ton of damage. It's, it is the right diagnosis from your other doctor. And I think that can go back to sometimes people are injured and they're diagnosed wrong. 
um, which is a scary thing to even talk about. And I, I feel, I feel bad. I don't want it, but I'm saying I've experienced that where I have gone to a doctor. They've told me I had one thing, you know, the next doctor told me, no, it's not possible because, you know, you need to have this test in order to do that. And then they do the test and I don't have it, but I'm still in pain. And they say, well, you shouldn't be. And then you go to another doctor and they, they don't know what's wrong with you. And it can be a really frustrating process. Um, and I mean, not even runners deal with this. I think the general public, anyone who's had like an injury or even like chronic pain, um, maybe can relate to this where you're jumping around from doctor to doctor, trying to find answers. Um, and you're just not getting anywhere. And I think just understand that that sometimes can be a part of the process and to like be your own advocate out there um, just because, you know, one one person, one, you know, chiropractor or something says it's one thing doesn't necessarily like rule out um, that it's something else. So that's why I really like to get the imaging done just to be on that safe side for sure. But I think um, going back more to talking about specific things that you can do before you even get injured, before anything ever flares up, um, to help with this whole injury prevention thing, because as you can hear from some of the things that we've been saying, it's just not fun stuff to go through. So I guess the biggest thing that you can do, um, training wise, is I would say the progressive overload principle, which is so important. So the biggest thing is you need to start where your fitness currently is. And I see this mistake so often. And I think even what Jason was saying, um, for some of his athletes at the college level who got injured, um, with the bone injuries, a lot of that had to do with just like lack of training over the summer and not, and kind of like rushing back into things for some of them and maybe being dishonest about like what you actually were doing over the summer. Um, cause that can be really scary too. You know, if you sign up to work with a new coach, we get new athletes all the time. Um, if you put down 20 to 30 miles a week and that's what you were doing five or six months ago and you had just taken, you know, two or three months off lower mileage and you're not being like a hundred percent honest of like what you have been doing and really keeping track and counting, um, that can be a scary place to be because they're going to start you at that point. And if you're not ready to start there, that's going to be a really big jump. So I think just being really honest about where you currently are, um, not grabbing a plan from the internet, not going and seeing, you know, something that, oh, 30 miles a week, I can do that. Even though you haven't been doing that, um, that's going to be your biggest jump. So what are other factors that people shouldn't increase and just making sure they're being aware of besides like your weekly mileage? I would definitely say training paces. So we often see the mistake of people running at, you know, their goal pace for whatever distance instead of their current level of fitness for that distance. So that's, that can be a big difference. And one way we always try to help athletes identify that is by kind of testing their V dot to measure, you know, what their easy pace should be, what their, you know, tempo work should be and their threshold and then their speed work. So I think that that is a, definitely I've had a few athletes recently who, you know, just looking through their training, it, it just seems like they've been doing a lot of runs much faster than they should. And ever since they started working with me, they've been commenting of how, how good they've been feeling and they've been refreshed and able to really kind of tackle those, those harder days. So I think that, you know, again, it goes back to slowing down on your easy days, keeping them easy and um, not training. You know, I made this mistake myself first few years out of college. I'd go to the track and I'd still try to hit paces that I used to hit when I was a college athlete. And I had my teammates to, you know, train with me and I had all these races to compete at. And 
the reality was I wasn't running <laughs> nearly as much or competing as much. So my fitness had declined and I didn't really notice at the time. I, I still felt invisible and I felt great. I still felt like I could go and hit those paces at the track, but I was really redlining to do it. And so I wasn't getting the, you know, the adaptations that I should have been getting if I was running maybe, you know, 80% of, of that pace or whatever. So Right. Yeah. And it's really risky to go out there and and hammer workouts like that. Um, Mm -hmm. I know that you said the importance of keeping your easy days easy. Uh, Some people really just even struggle with that concept, but that in itself is extremely important because those are just supposed to be your recovery days in between hard sessions. Um, So if you're not going really slow, I mean, really slow compared to what your ability levels are, um, easy days should feel like a jog. And you shouldn't be like so sore on your easy days where it's like hurting to run or just feels really uncomfortable. Um, Maybe a good option, like if you find that you can't control your pace on an easy run or it just feels like a little bit too much of a load, switch to doing some cross training or use that as a rest day. Sometimes our bodies need different options just depending on the athlete and where you're at. Um, We don't want to risk an injury by, you know, running an easy run too fast. I mean, that would be the craziest way to get an injury. But also what you said about um, not forcing the paces. And I think for veteran runners, that can be super hard because you're coming off of a big training cycle and you really want to dive back in and hit those paces that you were hitting when you were in your peak fitness and you might only be, you know, 10 seconds per mile off. So your inclination is to just stretch and get to those paces. But in reality, you're just redlining a little bit too much and just doing a little bit too much consistently day in and day out and day in and day out. Those are the things that wear on your body and your body can only handle so much stress. Um, if it's not having that time to recover, if it's not getting the correct load, things are going to start to break down. Um, and the biggest things that we see happen is, you know, one little thing might, you know, tweak here, a tightness there because you're a little bit more sore than normal. It can lead to just one imbalance in your body, which can cause a change in your stride. So now you're hammering workouts with a change in your stride, you're causing more stress on a different part of your body because your stride has now changed. And then it can just be like this domino effect of like, all these things in your body, just what is going on? Why is this happening? So it's just really interesting because our bodies are, they're so smart and they're such a machine. So it's very important to like, make sure you're not overdoing it and not putting, you know, the wrong sort of stress on your body because it can, and it will lead. And if you're, if you're lucky enough to not get injured, it will probably end up leading to a burnout situation. Um, so either way you, you, slice this like let's say you're listening you're someone who hardly ever gets injured um sure you might not get an injury but burnout can definitely be there right behind it um and there's a lot of other like hormonal things that can go on in your body that can cause a lot of just disturbances with your body and your life um so it's important to really do progress progressive overload principle not overdo it just gradually over time is the best way So another thing that's super important, I think we kind of touched on this, but just the importance of recovery in general. So what are ways that someone could just make sure that they're recovering on a day-to-day basis? The number one way is going to be to get more sleep because the longer you sleep, you know, the more human growth hormone you have being produced by your body to allow those muscles to recover. So I think, you know, especially after a hard session and the day or two after that, it's important to try to strive for some extra sleep. Um, so that you, you know, you can bounce back and recover for the next session. Um, 
I would say, you know, every person's amount of time that they need to sleep is going to be different depending on what you're used to. But I would say an extra hour or two would be, would be important after a long run or a harder workout. So, you know, for me, it's, I'm used to getting seven day, probably about eight hours. So I would strive for nine on those days just to make sure I'm feeling, I'm feeling better and I can bounce back. Um, the other thing would be, I guess, nutrition. So really, um, you know, replenishing the muscle storages, especially after, again, hard workouts and even leading up to them to make sure you're fueled properly so you can perform, but making sure you're getting enough calories and you are, you know, eating healthy, not, not garbage foods. So as much fresh foods as possible and all of that. So I think that that's something that gets overlooked. The number one and two, I would say are sleep and nutrition. Right. And I can just hear people laughing right now who have kids and you said nine hours of sleep. But I guess the biggest thing, you know, if you're not able to get like eight hours of sleep or even seven, um, like in one stretch, I would recommend not doing workouts. You know, like let's say you have a baby that's waking up in the middle of the night um, because we've definitely been there and there were no workouts that were being done just because it's like so much stress on your body. Um, Yeah, you can still run easy, but I think just being cautious and considerate of like what is the impact that this run is going to have is it going to send me over the edge and just always making sure we're not pushing too much because if you start the more things of these that you aren't like checking the box on like let's say you're in your easy runs too fast or you know you're not sleeping well or you're pushing the pace on workouts like the higher chance and risk that you're going to end up with an injury so the more of these that you can just go down the list and check off yep check 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 um, the better off you are going to be. So I think, yeah, sleep is huge, very undervalued by most people. Uh, most people say they don't have time to sleep. And I, I would say, you know, if you honestly don't have time to sleep, then maybe, you know, let's, let's cut down a little bit on your training. Cause you're actually going to have a better chance of not only improving, but just staying healthy in general. Um, cause if you're not even, if you're not getting enough sleep, you're not going to be able to recover and therefore you're not going to improve. So you're just running your body into the ground and we don't, we don't want those things to be happening. Um, again, nutrition, super important. What you're putting in your body is fueling your runs. So just making sure you're eating enough, making sure you're eating the right types of foods, um, and feeling yourself appropriately. Other things that really help. And a lot of people, um, would recommend doing are, you know, foam rolling and, listening to your body and making sure, you know, like if you need an extra day between workouts that that's okay. Um, we don't want to be pushing through anything or pushing through soreness. You know, if you just started a lifting program, like we don't want you to do, um, like a running workout when you just lifted the day before and your legs are really tired. We want you to be, you know, recovering in between your sessions and feeling good on your workout days. There's no use in, you know, driving yourself into the ground. Um, your body's capable of a lot. Like we've said this a lot, your body can handle a lot, but things are going to flare up. Um, regardless of how they come, maybe it's injury, maybe it's illness, burnout, it will happen if you aren't taking care of yourself, um, and following these sort of guidelines. Another thing that's really popular that we talk a lot about is, you know, the whole strength training. And I know Jason being the college coach, he has his athletes doing a lot of um, drills and, you know, some of our master's runners, we really stress the importance of balance and stability, but I think everyone can really benefit from those things. So can you speak a little bit to the whole strength training piece, Jason? Yeah, we, so at the college level, we actually have our own athletic performance staff who 
works with our coaches to determine, you know, the best program for our athletes. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of studies done recently for, especially for endurance and distance runners that show, Hey, we should be doing a lot of the, you know, intense types of lifts that other athletes do. And, and it can help with injury prevention. It can help with overall becoming a stronger runner, um, and getting different motor units and our muscle fibers working. Um, so if you're, especially if you're, if you're trying to run fast, shorter distance times, then it's going to be especially important for you. But, you know, even all the way up to the marathon, it can definitely help with more of the injury prevention. Um, you know, that muscle to mind connection is going to be very important. Um, just helping recruit different muscle fibers when you're starting to fatigue, um, you know, deep into your long runs and, um, also helping reduce imbalances. Like I know myself, I've been kind of dealing with some lower left back pain and I've noticed that I've ever since, since I've started doing more hip and glute exercises that that's kind of subsided. So, um, I think that, you know, by doing those types of weightlifting exercises, we can also target stronger form and overall more efficient running economy. Um, so yeah. Yeah, those are really (laughs) good tips there. Um, And I love how you share that at the college level, the trainers are saying, you know, the research that they've been reading um, has shown that it's important to kind of pick a weight that's challenging for you so that you can work on, you know, growing those muscles and um, just becoming stronger. Because I think for a long time there was... um, like a misconception out there where runners like shouldn't lift or that they should lift lighter weights or something like that. But definitely um, lifting those heavier weights to engage that whole muscle and really working on like the power and stuff. Because as you get older, um, I think it's like once you hit 30 or something, like your muscle mass, like every year just like starts to slowly decrease. And I think anything that we can do to like prevent and preserve like our muscles and grow muscles is super important because those muscles are being used while we're running. Um, and so, yeah, you're probably not gonna be like power lifting, like some of these, you know, Olympic lifters, but it's really important to pick weights that are challenging, um, and work those muscles. And a lot of the times, um, we just did a post on this a couple days ago. It was about, uh, like your glutes not ever being turned on. I mean, a lot of us have desk jobs. We're sitting for the majority of the day. Um, so, you know, your glute muscles can kind of become lazy and, runners are often very quad dominant, um, just depending on, you know, the runner, but it's very common for runners to have weaker glutes. And so it's really important to target exercises like the squat and like using weights so that we can build that muscle up, um, so that it can be just as strong as the other muscles in the legs. Cause you definitely don't want to have imbalances there. Um, cause that can, you know, lead to a decrease in performance and potential, um, in the sport. So I think it's really important to continue doing this strength training, um, obviously drills are great because again, they're firing muscles. You're working on that mind muscle connection. And anytime that you're getting everything in your body kind of in line in tune, you're gearing up and making sure that when you're running, everything in your mind and body are like being connected. And, you know, sometimes runners, our bodies can get really in, in like weird routines where we're not firing the full muscle. And so that's why like strides are very important just to go in there and like say, Hey, wake up. Like we're recruiting all of the muscle fibers. We're not kind of going to go through the motions today. You have to really like trigger that in your brain and in your body. Um, and I think another thing that's really important that, you know, we just did a post about this today is finding the right type of shoes. So I get asked all the time. I think a lot of runners do, um, Oh, what type of shoes do you run in? And I don't even like to tell people because my the type of shoes that I can run in are completely different from like what most people or other people can run in just because I run in a certain pair of shoes doesn't mean that you can um so Jason tell me a little bit about like picking your shoes and what are some things that like someone should look for yeah I mean 
the type of shoe isn't so much, you know, the brand isn't so much important. It's more about being in kind of the right category of shoes. So if you go get fitted for shoes, go definitely go to a running store. They're going to be a, a little bit more knowledgeable typically about the, the category you should be in. And, you know, they'll watch your gait. They'll watch you walk. They might watch you do some body squats and stuff and look for your, your knee rotation and your ankle rotation and stuff. So I think that typically you're, most of us are going to be either a neutral runner or a stability, uh, needing a stability shoe. Um, very few people are going to have that overpronation where they need to be in what's called a motion control shoe. But those are kind of the three categories. Um, and once you get in that category, like you, let's say you get identified as stability, um, they're going to maybe bring out a few different brand options in that, in that, that are all stability shoes. And you can kind of just talk about some of the, the different, um, shoes in the, the, you know, cause each shoe m- makes their, uh, they're sold out of different materials. So, you know, Nike uses air, Asics uses gel and, and all those other companies use a, a different type of material. And so I think it just comes down to comfort and maybe kind of fitting your, the arch of your foot as well, making sure that it feels comfortable for you. Uh, making sure if you need a wider toe box that you get a shoe that has that. Um, so for me, you know, I've been a neutral, I was kind of more of a stability in college, but the longer I've been running, my form has started to become more, um, I guess where I don't need, I don't pronate as much anymore. So what pronation is, is the ankle rotation inward with each step with, with each foot strike from heel to toe. So kind of picturing your ankle rolling in a little bit, that's pronation. If you don't have any rolling at all, you're probably a neutral runner. So you could videotape yourself running on a treadmill. Um, but more times than not, the, the specialists that you're running local running stores will help you identify that. Right. Yeah. Going to that local running store and just kind of getting an assessment and recommendations there. And then I always like to try them on when you're in the store, you know, make sure you're running in them on the treadmill that they have there and just seeing like if they feel right. Cause even if they do have a recommendation that they thought would be good for you, maybe it just doesn't feel right on your body. And you just want to make sure you're doing kind of what feels right. Um, it, it should feel natural and just trying different shoes. Cause sometimes you go in there and, uh, you know, you try on like six different pair before you find one where you're like, okay, this will work. Um, but yeah, making sure that you're running in the right shoes and also, you know, only putting a certain amount of mileage on the shoes. Uh, you can look at the bottom of your shoes and if anything's like worn down, um, well, what's interesting is if you look at the bottom of your shoe and the areas that are more worn down, cause most people's shoes, like there's certain spots, like maybe the heels more run down or, you know, the left in inside of it. That'll actually kind of show you like where your foot's landing um, the most and the heaviest, um, looking at your tread pattern there, which is really cool. But once you get to a certain point where kind of the rubber is wearing down like that, um, it, it's time for new shoes. And some of us who have been running for a really long time, like we can pretty much feel when it's time for new shoes because you go out on a run and it just, I don't know, your body just will tell you. But I think, you know, for people who maybe aren't looking at the bottom of your shoe or whatever, I think a rule of thumb is like 300 miles. Some shoes, it's a lot less, you know, like the next percent, they say only 100 miles. Um, some you can get a little bit more mileage out of them. Um, it also depends on kind of like where you're running and, you know, body weight and all those things. I think another thing that, you know, talking about going into a store and having them assess, you know, what sort of shoes you should wear. Another thing that's kind of popular recently is the whole um, gait analysis. 
And that's something that's done usually by a physical therapist or someone who's certified who will kind of watch your form and give you feedback on it. Um, That being said, I think, you know, just even as a coach like Jason, he's able to watch a lot of his athletes um, at the college level and give, you know, either cues to them or just, you know, have a chat with them so that they're aware of, you know, maybe things that are going on with their form. Um, no one has the perfect form, you know, unless you're a professional runner, but even them, I'm sure their coaches and physical therapists tell them problem areas or things that they need to work on or look at. Um, it's always a work in progress. And I think the worst thing that we can do is look at our race photos, you know, at the end of a marathon or at the end of a half marathon where we're racing and think that that's what we always look like when we're running. Cause what will end up happening is at the end of the race, you know, when they're taking all of the pictures, your form is probably the worst it's going to look um, because you are in the most possible fatigue state that you will ever be in. You're racing um, and you're at the end of the race. So you've given 100% and here you are about to finish and that's what your form looks like. And that's more of like a broken form. Um, What's better, I think, is to get, you know, just a video of you running um, or maybe if you have someone shooting a video of you like at the beginning of the race or you have pictures from more like a midpoint or beginning of the race. Um, those are better. There are, you know, just certain things with running form that are really common and I'll have Jason speak to you a little bit about that. When I watch people run, I'm typically looking at, you know, mainly two things, obviously their foot strike, but, um, basically what are their arms doing? So their elbows. And I have a few athletes who swing their elbows, kind of, you know, too much or their arms coming across their midline or one of them, he brings his arm back or kind of across his back, his elbow back across his back a little bit too much. So those are some of the things that I look at and just kind of keeping the hands and the arms and the shoulders just looking like they're relaxed and not tense, I guess. So, you know, especially at the end of races, you might notice that runners are, they might be really tense or they might be really kind of floppy and careless with their arms. So those are the things I'm going to look at. And then just kind of the the feet, like what are the feet doing Um, with each foot strike? Some runners maybe bring their feet up high, a little too high, um, or they bring it around a little bit where it should be kind of more of a straight, you know, straight pattern. But, um, you know, one other thing I was thinking about how I like to figure out if I like a shoe is I listen to it with my foot strike. And if it's kind of loud and clunky, I kind of shy away from it. If I kind of like the sound of it and it's very quiet, I feel like that's an efficient shoe for me. So that's just a personal tip that I kind of like to do to determine if I like a shoe is listen to the foot strike. And if it's quiet, um, I usually will go for that shoe. That's really funny. As you say that about the shoes, I keep thinking about those Nike 4% mm-hmm. that I love to wear. They're very, yes, they're loud, but I love those shoes so much. Um, I just think you can run faster in them, but that's just my opinion. Um, but just going back to the whole gait analysis idea of, you know, running form and making sure your running form is good or just being aware. Cause like we said, you're never going to have like perfect running form. Um, and your body just kind of reverts back to your natural running form. But like you said, just understanding, having those cues and working on them. I used to be someone, uh, something you didn't mention was is like a forward lean. You want to have like a slight forward lean. Um, I used to run very strangely, like leaning backward. And I just remember one of my old teammates was like, dude, you like lean backwards and you run. <laughs> I didn't believe her. Um, but she was like, show me all these. Races. 
all these raised pictures. And I was like, well, I don't want to lean forward because it feels like I'll fall. And like, she goes, no, trust me. Like you look like you're doing like a, like a bridge backwards. So I was totally unaware of this because it felt normal to me, but just having her tell me like, dude, you're doing this. And she, she just really reassured me that like, if I just try to lean forward more, that I would run faster. And I was like, whatever. She's like, or it'll just be better for you. And so at first I felt really awkward to make these changes. Um, I like questioned whether or not I was making a change. Like I just, cause it feels awkward. Anytime you're making a change to your natural running form, it's going to feel weird. But you know, I don't have that tendency at all anymore, which is really nice. Um, I, yeah, it's still mind blowing to me to look back at pictures and wonder like how that was even a thing because it was something that was so easy to fix. But there are other things that are a lot harder to like break the habit of. I think the longer that you've been running and the more miles you have under your belt, the harder it is to fix um, some of these. But, you know, like he was saying about the arm swinging from side to side, that's a huge energy waste. Um, I know our old coach cross country would say, instead of moving your energy forward, you're just going from side to side. And so if you could just somehow make that small change to like, make sure your arms aren't swinging from side to side, try to keep them more forward. It will just make you more efficient and faster in the end. But again, these are things to like constantly being aware of while you're running. Um, and just, they're not probably going to cause injury, but it's good just to know, um, and be aware of. And this is something you could even send a video to your running coach. If you have a coach and they can tell you, um, there's a, just a lot of really small things that, you know, they, someone who's really used to seeing, um, can help you with. But if you want something that's a little bit more, you know, intensive, like let's say you've been having like reoccurring issues and just like you can't seem to get healthy. I think going more to the gait analysis with the physical therapist can really help. Um, because not only are they going to like see the problem areas, they're going to like specifically treat and prescribe exercises that you can do to like correct these imbalances. Cause sometimes people, are doing these things because, you know, maybe I was leaning backwards because my back was strong and my core was weak, you know? And so like, these are things that I am not, you know, trained in, I'm not a physical therapist, but they would be able to recommend and give you specific exercises to help with those problem areas, if that makes sense. So they can definitely be a useful um, tool there. But, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about the physical therapist, I know earlier in the conversation, we were talking a lot about the active release therapists, finding one in your area, establishing those relationships, and really just a great person to go to with any flare-ups or questions you have along the way, um, mainly for soft tissue injuries. You know, just the number one thing is not running through pain, being aware of your body, taking those extra days, um, and then just speaking to, you know, anyone out there listening that thinks they may be injured or they are injured for sure. Uh, what are the, the final words for them? Well, the number one thing you want to do is just is rest until you've had a chance to, you know, further investigate or seek medical um, professionals opinions. And then just take that time off. Don't try to run through any sort of pain at all. Um, and, you know, you could ask your doctor or your, whoever you're seeing a PT about what is, if there's anything you can do in terms of cross training, um, to kind of help you, you know, prevent lose fit, losing fitness, but also to kind of just keep you, you know, keep your activity levels, um, level in, while you're taking that time off from running. So, um, yeah.
Yeah, those are really good advice to, you know, not run through pain. And make sure you're asking these doctors. You know, you go see someone, they they give you diagnosis. I always like to ask, like, okay, what's, like, my... What's my plan coming back? How do I ease back in? What are some exercises that I should be or could be doing, you know, in this off season to prevent this number one from happening again? And maybe number two, is there any cross training that I can be doing um, that's not going to further aggravate this? And these physical therapists, these doctors, they're very trained and they'll be able to give you very specifically what you can and cannot do. Um, so then another thing, if you are coming back from an injury, I know Jason has came back from a couple, so have I. What is typically the schedule and time frame like let's say you've been cleared to run by your doctor and they're just like yeah just do whatever let's say let's say you don't know or let's say they say you can literally do anything you want um would you recommend coming back with run walks why and why not yes um for me personally run walks have always been successful because it's it's easy to you know, identify if something still isn't quite healed and you can just stop without causing further damage. Um, and then the next reason would be you can just slowly build upon, you know, each day upon your progress. So let's say you're going to start with even 30 seconds of running, 30 seconds of walking. Maybe you'll do five or 10 minutes of that the first day and then you can increase the second day and then you can go to one minute on, one minute off the third day and so on. And then by the second week, you know, that's kind of when you're starting to string together some some actual runs of maybe, you know, one to two miles straight through. Um, but I never really want to try to rush it back and go for a three to four mile run. I, I do see people do that from time to time. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy that they don't usually have a setback, but for me, I just, I kind of, am really in tune with my body and I know what the injury, you know, um, outlook has been in the past. So I just don't want it to reoccur. So run walks are great. Um, but just making sure it's kind of progressively getting longer. Right. Yeah. And I love how you, you say that you even personally use run walks when coming back. Um, Jason, you know, 246 marathoner. So I think, you know, the biggest thing is not rushing back into things because they're your greatest chance um, for injury is actually when you're coming back from an injury. So it's super important to just take it easy. Um, run walks are a great way to do that just to see how your body is responding and doing that progressive overload approach. So we really appreciate you kind of tuning in and listening to our tips for injury prevention. And we hope that everyone has a very healthy year in 2020. And hopefully no one has to, you know, go to the doctor or use any of these tips. But, you know, injuries do happen with the sport of running. So just keep these things in mind um, as you're training this year. And if you have any questions or you want to chat with one of us specifically, you can visit our website at www.run for prs.co and chat with one of us today if you fill out the form on our website thanks for listening